Everything F1, driven by fans for the fans. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, Cara Bostock. I'm sitting in for the lovely James Tiller today and we've got a gorgeous group from the Everything F1 team to talk everything the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and I suppose to give a bit of an overview of the season as a whole. Um, So with us today, first we've got Tom. Hi Tom, how are you doing? Hello, I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Are, Are you looking forward to giving a bit of analysis over the controversy this evening? What controversy? What controversy exactly? Um, and then we've also got Sean. How are you? I'm very well, and boy, do I have a lot of thoughts on this one. <laughs> I, th- I thought you might do, and um, we're going to get into it. I promise. And then finally, we've got Coops. Coops, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to hear everyone's colourful opinions. And then I thought, in James's tradition, I know he likes to do headliners. So if possible, if we could all give us our three headliners from this weekend. And then I was thinking, because it's the, you know, the season's over now, if we could maybe give our favourite moment from the season, if that's possible, just to pick one, maybe a standout moment. Yeah. Would anyone like to go first? Maybe Tom, you got some headliners for me? Um, I suppose my headliner would be... Max has done it. Simple. Yeah. And then top moment from this season? Well, it's hard not to say that last lap overtaking Abu Dhabi to win the championship. You know, yeah. as, 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 as a Max Verstappen fan, um, as any, if any of our listeners saw our last stream, you'd have seen me absolutely lose my mind when Max went, went around Lewis. Um, yeah, 100% the best moment of the season for me. Yeah, it was pretty spectacular. Okay, and then Coops, what about you? Some headliners or favourite moments? Uh, I think for me, it has to be the French Grand Prix, which is not it's not a negative, surprisingly enough. <laughs> uh, normally it would be, uh, and that just shows you what type of season we had. But for me, it was the French Grand Prix because everyone came to it thinking it's Mercedes, it's a walkover, They're gonna, it's just going to be a one-two. And then Red Bull came out and beat them. And it was all strategy and raced them. And th- I think that was the moment for me where I thought, oh, we've got something here. Uh, and then I think the final lap in Abu Dhabi just basically epitomised 2021. Just, like, you could never script it. We couldn't script the whole season. And in that last five laps, with Latifi going off, as we sure we'll get into it, and then whatever it, the decisions to do what they did and how it ended up. Well, wow. Uh, wow. That's all I can really say. Wow. I mean, yeah. And then Sean? Oh, how, how do you even sum that up? I suppose Matt, Max, Max does this. The FIA make questionable decisions. I mean, <laughs> I, I sit in the fence with that one. And uh, Carlos Sainz was the star of the show other than Max, I think. Um I, I'm very impressed by him this whole season. I'm sure we'll talk a bit more on that later. I suppose then a highlight of the season. I can't not be a McLaren fan and say and not say Monza. I, that that I was in tears uh, yeah. at Daniel Ricciardo's victory, not just for Danny, but obviously for for McLaren, their first victory in. Oh God, I think I I, I was a decade younger. <laughs> Um, like I think I was only 19 I'm now nearly 29 when that last win happened it was so damn long ago so that that for me was 
for sure the highlight of the season hopefully the first of many many more to happen again in the very near future yeah I mean I've got a big soft spot for McLaren so I thought that was pretty amazing too and I was thinking oh what would my headline be and then I thought oh maybe Michael Massey had Christian Horner in the secret Santa this year Uh, but again I'm just stirring the pot there and then I think my um my favorite moment was actually I think I don't know if I can say Brazil as a whole but really Hamilton's performance in Brazil was just I just couldn't it was unbelievable and I think it really did certify his greatness yeah it was Brazil just coming from the back like that was amazing I suppose um coming on back to Abu Dhabi this weekend maybe we should start by what did we think going in obviously it's it's what we all wanted they were level on points people have been talking sort of weeks before doing the maths that oh yeah if Lewis wins and Max comes seconds then but we I don't know if we ever actually thought that would happen so maybe Coops let's come to you did you think, oh, okay, Red Bull have got this? Or what were your thoughts going into the race? Well, for sheer stubbornness, I was like, Red Bull have got it because I said in pre-season Red Bull have already won it. <laughs> but I, to be realistic, I think for everybody else, like well, like everybody else, I, I, I kept changing my mind. I'm like, you couldn't, going by Hamilton's performance when his back's against the wall, like Brazil, he just pulls out something out of the bag. That's why he's got all the stats, why he's seven-time champion. He's got that extra, you know, that notch to go up to. But then Verstappen has just done... It's, the stats that came out for Verstappen this season uh, are unbelievable. And that's a championship-winning season. And then you were like, so, but you can't write him off. But then that... And then the then Verstappen gets pulled by half a second. And you're like, oh, well, maybe it's Verstappen. But then I, I, I didn't know. I, I, did, I couldn't. I kept going back and forth. Uh, it was just, it was just amazing to watch uh, and to just be in the thrill. Right? I've never been so nervous for a race weekend ever, except this one. Yeah, I mean, I was just, I was obviously nervous, but I was just so excited. And obviously, there's all the controversy, but you couldn't have really asked for a more exciting better race for the sport something to talk about than a final like this um and then I suppose Sean if we'll come to you could you maybe talk us through your thoughts as the race was happening obviously Hamilton got ahead in that one and then lots lots of lots of other things unveiled but yeah believe it or not my experience was actually a little bit different so I had a lot of varying thoughts I watched the race two hours late (gasps) Yeah, um, we co- I couldn't watch live. I was going to adopt uh, podcast number two. Um, we got hey. and Charles. We now got George and Charles. Um, oh, is he not named Max after what happened at the weekend? We, no, we we gave his middle name Max, so he's okay. Charles. He's Charles Max <laughs> uh, in in honor of Max. Um, but yeah, so we had to avoid. I had to avoid everything for about two and a half hours. I didn't turn the race on until half three, so I had just no idea what was happening. I had turned everything digital in my house except the TV off. And I was watching this through going, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Oh, my God. It's, ah, oh, don't crash. Oh, if, they, if they're going to do it, they've already done it. Oh, it's, it's so, it's such a strange experience because you're thinking like, oh, something's going to happen next. Someone's going to, oh, it's already happened. Like, I can't, oh, I can't will this into existence. It's already happened. Not that I could anyway. But you know, when you're watching, like if you watch rugby and someone's taking a penalty kick and you miss and the kicker miss. You think, oh, I did that. You didn't. <laughs> think you did. I couldn't even do that. And 
Oh, it was it was heartbreaking. Just watch watch it. Obviously, you know, I'm not necessarily a Max or Lewis fan. I just a bit like Tom. I just wanted a new champion. I'm sick of Lewis just winning. Lewis himself famously said on Top Gear, oh, well, he said the best car for God knows how many years about Seb Vettel in a really snide way because he was sick of the domination. So Lewis himself gets it, how sick we all get of domination. So for that reason alone, I was desperate for Max to win it. Um, and then just five laps for me, like the, the start, I was furious that there was no even like investigation into Lewis going off. And then, oh God, it just unfolded in such a strange way. But I, I just knew something had to happen. I didn't know because I hadn't checked. I was really proud of myself and my girlfriend. We didn't check for two and a half hours, four hours nearly by the time we got to the end of the race. And I just knew something's going to happen. Just something had to happen. It was too easy. It was too simple. It was too quiet. Like this, this championship, this bizarre, over-the-top, insane, brilliant championship can't end with one minor note of maybe controversy five corners in. Something had to happen. And by God, did something happen. <laughs> and it was, it was, oh, there's a lot to be said about it, about what happened and how it happened. I, I know we're going to get into all of it a bit more in depth, but uh, that was a, that was the toughest race I've ever watched because I knew all I needed to do was turn my data back on and every single news app on my phone was going to tell me who the world champion was. It was torture to not be able to do that. Can, yeah, I, can, I, can I change my, my driver of the day to Sean for avoiding the result <laughs> for two hours after it? I mean, come on, that's, that is unreal. Like, I mean, no one else in the world didn't know except you until two hours later. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, impressive, it's, impressive. Honestly, on lap 52, Nikki crashed on lap 53, on lap 52, my girlfriend yep. goes, give me my phone, I'm done, I'm done, give me my phone, I'm done. I'm like, no, you're not having it, you're not yeah. having it. And Go not, not 60 seconds later, the crash happens, I'm like, you're really not having it now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good though, you got to experience sort of the joy live still, very yeah. impressive, you yeah, know, very I'm, disciplined. I'm, I'm very proud of us, I'm never doing that again. No, <laughs> too painful. <laughs> Oh, gosh. And I suppose, obviously, we are going to get into the controversy. I'm like, do we get into it now? Maybe we'll progress as, you know, as the race did. In lap 20, lap 21, Perez put up an incredible defence from Lewis and really sort of held him back for a good few seconds to let Max catch up. Obviously, that in the end wasn't the decider. But maybe, Tom, thinking about the sidekicks feels a... an insult but Perez and Bottas this season and what sort of role do you think they've played and then Perez in this race um Perez on Sunday was whilst it in the grand scheme of things it didn't actually make that much of a difference because of reasons that we will no doubt get into later on um the way he was able to hold Hamilton up on that lap he was hustling Hamilton through that final sector and even when Hamilton had overtaken him, don't forget Perez was on best part of what 25, 26 lap old softs, which were really, really shot. Um, and Hamilton effectively breezed past him. But Perez made that Red Bull wider than anything I've ever seen on that track. And he just put it in he just put it all over the all over the track. Years of experience there. Um, and that's something the Red Bull have needed from their quote unquote second driver. Ever since, well, ever since they, ever since Max had been in the team, 
Because when Danny Rick was there, they didn't have like a proper driver hierarchy. And we know how badly that goes for teams. We're going to have to look at Mercedes 2016 season, Red Bull 2018 and Baku, for example. So so for, for, for Perez to drive as well as he did, and I've always rated him as a good driver for as long as I've seen him in F1, um, for him to defend like that, to move, and to let Max close up a five-second gap in one lap, I mean, if that's not the ultimate wingman, I don't know what is. And when and when when Perez then just moved aside to let Max through, and then when Max said, "Oh, Checo is a legend," it's nice to hear that Max is appreciating the the work that Perez is doing for him. Um, if it would have been Albon in that seat, I don't know how well Albon would have held up Hamilton. I mean, we know Albon's history with trying to defend against Hamilton. We know what happens when those two come together. So we might have seen the championship decided a bit earlier, but. Um, but 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 yeah, Perez. I don't know what he. I don't know if he like. I I don't know. Does he, does he like? Does he buy the tires a drink before he goes out or something? And you know, and, you know, and says like, you know, does he like whisper to them and say, you know, you know, you know, if if you know, if 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 I, if I go light on you, will you hold out for ten more laps or something? Because his ability to keep the tires going, keep life from them, not burn through them. That has obviously it hasn't won Max the championship this year, but it has made a huge difference this year. Yeah, no, Perez really, like you say, showed his experience this race. And sadly, in the end, it sort of came down to a race of strategy, but then kind of just a race of Michael Massey's decisions. Um, maybe Coops will come to you. What do you think about the way Mercedes and Red Bull both approached the race strategy-wise, and do you think they made the best calls? Well, clearly Mercedes had the be- made the best call. They, you know, they they done the fastest time on the medium in, in Q2. Uh, Red Bull, I think that was the only thing Red Bull done wrong or the misstep when Verstappen locked his front in, a, in Q2 and ruined his, the, the medium tyre, which meant the fastest lap in Q2 was the, was the soft, which, stuck, which meant they were stuck on a particular strategy. And the only way this strategy was ever going to work is if he, got, he kept first uh, on the start of the race. Uh, and the minute Hamilton got past, they were on the back foot. And then the speed of that Mercedes, you just... They, they didn't really have much they could do. Uh, although, until the safety car, the fact that they had the softs and they were second when the safety car came out at the end of the race allowed them to do what they did, which put them in the position out, out with them, the Massey decision uh, and decisions. Uh, but, you know, you couldn't really fault Mercedes. Everything worked up until that last few laps or that last lap which wasn't anything that they'd done wrong. They'd done everything they could under the circumstance. They couldn't pit under the under the safety car, the loose track position. So they were stuck in that sense. But otherwise, it was faultless. Uh, the only thing they had was, I mean, Valtteri Bottas had a shocker. Uh, he done nothing, which I don't think it's the first time we've said that. Uh, he just, he got off the start line. I think he lost a couple of places. At one point, he was sitting about ninth or tenth or something around that area. Didn't really move. He just ambled along and finished the race. And then I saw videos of him getting drunk on Twitter. So, uh, 
but when you go when you go to Perez in second, doing what he did, he I mean he just paid his salary uh, exactly why he was brought in by Red Bull because Gasly wouldn't have done that against Hamilton, Albon certainly wouldn't have done that against Hamilton, and the only reason that Red Bull had that option is because Perez is so good with his tires. He if he didn't stretch those tires out, there wouldn't have been a fight. There wouldn't have had that second almost bite at the cherry for for Verstappen to try and get close again. I mean, that lap and a half was the most amazing part of that Grand Prix. It was brilliant. It was so good. We were jumping about, on yourself, Kenyon! We knew he was going to get him eventually, but we didn't realise it was going to take a lap and a half and almost 11 seconds worth. Um, So, yeah, you couldn't really fault it. We slight minor thing for Verstappen in Q2. But strategy-wise, they, they optimised their strategies the best they could. And for the, for the safety car, Verstappen and Red Bull done exactly what they should have done at exactly the right time because they knew the safety car was in. They thought, right, if, we're going to, if it's going to go in, it's going to be one lap. So get them in now. It's a free pit stop. Get them in now. Get them on the sauce, and we'll go for it. We'll just hope for the best. And they put themselves in that position to have that fight with, with Hamilton on the last lap. Yeah, I think probably what's hard for Lewis fans to swallow is that, you know, Lewis and Mercedes did everything right. It wasn't a big mistake on their part. It was almost out uh, other decisions. And I think it's probably time we do get on to that because I know it's what okay. everyone probably wants to talk about. So maybe Sean will, will come to you first. Um, what do you think about Michael Massey's decision at the end and all these appeals and now the controversy surrounding the, the last race. So I have watched and read every piece of content that's come out from all the various news sources and media sources over what happened, how it happened and why it was allowed to happen. And there's lots of regulations and lots of rules and lots of articles. The fact of the matter is, there are way too many rules and regulations in Formula One and yet somehow there's still not enough of them. Article, I think it was 48.12 and 48.13, something like that, basically outlined the rules and regulations for the safety car, how and when it can come out. And the initial rule is that when lapped cars are allowed past, the safety car comes in the following lap, which in the case of the race would have been the last lap of the race and it would have rendered the safety car. And what a wet blanket that would have been. Yes. Uh, And... In fairness to Michael Massey, and I think this kind of drove his whole decision before the race weekend, and this includes Toto Windbag Wolf. Every single team boss and every single team agreed that where possible, they wanted this race to end with a race, not under safety car, not under red flag. That was Michael Massey's only goal. How to get them racing and how to get them racing safely is the most important thing. So, one, he had to clear up that car and just take a second here to give total, total credit to the Abu Dhabi stewards. They removed Nicky's absolutely wrecked car and all the debris and and covered up the oil on the track in, what, a lap and a half? Two laps? Something like that. Absolutely Herculean effort and round of applause for them. They thoroughly deserve it. Michael Massey had to get the race going. Did he make the right decision? No, I actually don't think so. He should have red flagged it. Because, look, we, we have precedent for exactly this. This year, Baku, Max Verstappen crashed out, what, five laps to go? Has exactly the same sort of crash. Like, there's not debris absolutely all over the place, but it's enough that, you know, a safety car 
could have come out and trundled them through the pit lane and they could have got in, they probably would have ended up in the safety car. But no, Massey red flagged the race. They cleaned it all up. They got racing from a standing start. They all got to change the tyres and we had five laps. And you, you, you could say that both Lewis and Max might have lost the championship there and then because obviously Max crashed out to no fault of his own and then Lewis crashed out through actual fault of his own. So big changing point. Massey probably should have red flagged the race. Although again, there's so- stories to suggest that he went into this weekend, especially after um, practice, when I think the exact same thing happened, and his mindset was, I am not red flagging this race. I don't know how I think about that. I think a, a, a red flag might have been maybe the fairest way for everyone to have a shot. I actually still think in that scenario, Max probably would have won because there would have been no DRS for the first two laps. He still would have had that run for two kilometers down two straights. And knowing Max, he'd have done another lunge and had Lewis gone off again, there absolutely would have been an investigation into that. And if he gained an advantage again, Max would have been champion. And we'd still have everyone up in arms over, oh, Lewis got robbed. But I can understand why Lewis fans are a bit incensed. But at the end of the day, there's Article 15.2 or something like that that essentially says the race director has the right to do essentially whatever he wants with the safety car process. Is that a dangerous precedent? Yes, absolutely. That needs to be changed now. Does that change the result of this championship? No. Does that mean Max Verstappen is not a worthy champion? Absolutely, categorically not. He won the most races. He scored the most podiums. He now has more podiums in a single season than any driver in history. Max Verstappen is a worthy champion. And from Max's point of view, he didn't put a foot wrong either. Not that Lewis did, except for that maybe twinge in lap one. But Max didn't put a foot wrong at all. He was given his opportunity. The look came his way. He did nothing wrong. So for the FIA to strip him of a championship for their questionable decisions, won't, it won't happen. Mercedes are even suggesting that they'll withdraw their appeals. I think even Lewis wants them to withdraw their appeals. Um, so that's right. But... You know, Max is a worthy champion and I'm delighted for him. Um, even Lewis, to his credit, was very magnanimous in de- defeat, uh, which is fantastic to see. Uh, we all want to see a, a good loser as well as a good winner. I think both of them performed that role perfectly. Um, but at the end of the day, I think there were other ways they could have gone about it, but they actually didn't break any rules with what they did, which is the, 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 a long story long. <laughs> Uh, that's I, I'd actually not thought about it like that I'd only sort of thought about it in the black and white terms of oh should he have let the lap cars through or not should he have let all of them through but you know the the red flag might have been the best call after all like you said and I suppose from us watching it at home you can hear the radio between Toto Wolf and Michael Massey and Christian Horner and there's mm. all this talk now you know should the team principals be able to have such influence over Michael Massey's decisions. Well, the pair, and, apparently they're, they're getting rid of that for next season. I was just about to say that, Sean. Yeah, I did read something. I haven't seen any substantial reports for it, mm. but apparently they are going to be cutting back on the ability of teams to be able to phone the FIA race director. And I agree with that because the FIA race director has enough to do in the race as it is without... Um, uh, you know, uh, the um, Christian Horner going, Oh, Michael, can you ask him to get the position back, please? And then, um, and then, and then Wolf going, Nine, nine, no safety car, no safety car, you know. So it's, um, uh, you know, yeah. so he's got enough to do without winch bags from any team. I'm not naming any team, I'm saying any team on the grid. He's got enough to do without those lot barking in his ear every five minutes. But also, jokes aside, like it makes the teams look so, so crap. So, it, it, it makes, <laughs> not, it makes not just. Not just it, Sorry, Sean, go on, mate. 
not not just Toto Wolf and Christian Horner who yeah. did not have two good weekends. I think Toto was maybe a little bit more incensed than Christian has been ever. Um, but that that just shines all of them in a really almost embarrassingly poor light. I was so I was giggling with how embarrassed I was for Toto Wolf especially. Um, but obviously, you know, Horner had his outbursts uh, earlier in the season as well, especially in, in Saudi Arabia. And yes, the teams obviously need communication with the stewards' room. But having a direct line to the the race director is wrong, one. But broadcasting it, yes, it's cool to see those insights. But insight between, you know, uh, Bono and, you know, the, the race team, going, can you just clarify that rule for me? That's interesting. I like that. That's fine. But having Christian Horner and Total Wolf going, change the rules for me, change the rules for me. No, no, we can't have that anymore. That, that needs to be scrapped immediately. But again, for this year's rules, Neither of them broke any rules in doing that. Mm. No, I suppose one of the positives we can maybe take from what's happening in this final race is that hopefully it's going to set a precedent for future races and these things won't happen again. Although it was exciting and the whole, obviously, Massey's mentality was let them race. Um, but I agree that it just feels feels like something we shouldn't be hearing, which is obviously why the broadcasters like it, because it's like, oh, we're getting more of an insight but it undermines Michael Massey completely. And like you say, it's almost like airing your dirty laundry on the telly to everyone. Um, I was going to come to you, Coops, next. If you had any more to add on, you know, the controversy, the decisions, and maybe if you think, yeah, things will change moving forward. Things have to change. I mean, it's over-regulated. It's inconsistent. It takes far too long for decisions to be made. You know, stewards will look at it after the race. The end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix was the scenario that nobody wanted. Nobody knew who was really the champion for hours after the race. Mm. And that's not something we wanted. We wanted to be having a, a, a friendly debate about who won, not because of Michael Massey, but because somebody had to win and somebody had to lose. We shouldn't be sitting going, Michael Massey was wrong. Uh, no one's talking about the fact, really, that Verstappen's a champion. Everyone's talking about the fact that the FIA got it wrong and Massey should be sacked. Should he be sacked? No, because people keep seeming to think that he was there to replace Charlie Whiten. He never was. He was there to be the race director. Charlie Whiten had three or four jobs. When he passed away, Formula One came out and said, we cannot get one man to do his job because he'd done too many. And actually, uh, the Andrew Benson from BBC had an article out to say that they actually hired someone. Uh, and if I find it quickly, I'll be able to say who it is, but they've hired someone who's going to be the boss of uh, the technical guy, which is Tobias, I can't remember his first name, and also Michael Massey. So they'll have a, it'll be somebody that they two will report to, which has never been put in before since as Charlie Whiten passed away in 2019. So they're already, they, 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 they haven't responded to the BBC to say whether or not that was ever done because of what's happened at Abu Dhabi. I doubt it. I think that's something that we're looking at anyway. But Abu Dhabi's magnified because of what was at stake, everything that's wrong and everything that is right with Formula One. The problem is, as fans, we don't focus on what's right because the wrong was such a big wrong. It was far too messy. At the time when we'd done the watch along, and I said it at the time, Michael Massey wanted them to settle it on the track. Can we fault that? No. Can we fault how he'd done it? Probably. 
because even the stewards came out when they dismissed Mercedes' initial protest, they actually kind of admitted that the process wasn't quite followed properly. However, as uh, Sean has admitted, uh, or not admitted, has kind of said, there was, there's, regu- there's a regulation, it's 48.12, which, is, which has the word following, which was what Mercedes were saying. It was the following lap that they should have had uh, after the lap cars went. 48.13 supersedes 48.12. And as you can see, this is the problem. Because as soon as you put the message out safety car in on the computer and we all see it, the safety car has to go in at the end of that lap, which supersedes the following lap statement in 48.12. What then supersedes everything else is 15.3e. Again, as you can see, we're, we're into so many regulations. And 15.3 says the clerk of the course, the rates director, have overriding authority. And 15.3e says the two words, safety car. So this is the issue. 48.12, 48.13 supersedes 48.12. And 15.3e supersedes those two. This is the problem we have. Everything supersedes everything which supersedes other things. And going back to the issues again, the first lap, a, a pass that wasn't a pass that should have been a pass on uh, Verstappen and Hamilton again goes down to the consistency like the minute I seen it it was he needs to give that place back Verstappen stayed on track and then the stewards went we're not investigating it because Hamilton gave back the advantage gained no he didn't because he's still in front and then this is a consistency I should say the Arabia they gave Verstappen a five second penalty for passing and going off the track and not giving it back as quickly or as smoothly as they wanted it. But then they were like, oh, no, it stays. Again, consistency issues. So there's consistency and there's over-regulation. The FIA really need to sit back now and go, this needs to be smoother, this needs to be simpler. And as, as Cara, as you kind of said, a lot of things, especially in Formula One, which is so complicated and so many moving parts and so many things can happen, that sort of you hope that because this has happened, they suddenly go, wait, this, that, we don't like that. That didn't work. We don't like. Well, let's let's look. Let's sit back. There's a lot of very smart people within the world of Formula One that could sit down and smooth it and take a couple of things out. You know, look at what they're doing next year with regards to the track limits. Every single track, it's the white lines. That's it. It's about time. That's it. Yeah. How, 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 how does that need to be stated? <laughs> it's ridiculous. I know. You came every single weekend, except like Monaco, Baku. It was a case of, or, you know, Saudi Arabia. It was a case of, right, so track limits, what does that mean? And the race director had to put out a thing. So the track limits on this track and this and that. Next, they, they looked at it and went, you know, that's a waste of time. See next year, see those white lines. You put four tyres over those white lines and we can see that there's four tyres past those white lines. The lap's getting deleted, and that's every track from now on. They're, they're almost reasoning for why they have to chop and change that each time is because, oh, well, these cars are so fast that they can't possibly take that corner slow enough to, to stay within the lines. It's like, no, tough. Huh? So, the, so, um, the drivers just need to learn how to take the corner because yeah, exactly. they, they do it in Monaco. So Yeah, yeah exactly. The, 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 option, the, the alternate option is stick a barrier. Could you imagine barriers in Austria or Spa? Track. Yeah. Well, or a gravel trap. Gravel trap yep. was not the issue on Sunday, but yeah, it's it's that. So that's one thing they're changing for next year. But yeah, they've. I've just looked it up there. They have ninety six days. Ninety six. Right. That is more yeah. than enough time to rewrite the regulations mm-hmm. and to you simplify know, it all. 
it's not going to be, I mean, it, it will look like a wholesale change, but it won't be a wholesale change. It will be simplifying. It will be a wording issue. It will just be a couple of wee tweaks and make it clear. The problem you had was, I mean, to, to highlight again the issue, you had Brazil, where Max Verstappen took Hamilton wide. They both went off the track. They came on. All the drivers went, wait a minute, that's a penalty. You've told us before that's a penalty. Why is that not a penalty? We're letting them race. So they had they had a meeting at the next race. I think it was Saudi. I can't remember. Qatar. Qatar. So they had a they had a summit at the next race, and they were told whatever they were told, and the drivers came out and went, still not any clearer. So what is what what, what are we doing then? That can't happen. It's either you do this, you get a penalty. You do this, you don't get a penalty, and then that's it. Yeah. That's how it works. Uh, so I don't know how they're going to do it in terms of making things clearer because rules are always interpreted. But if they simplify them, the interpretation narrows. But you know, when you've got a barrister who can't, that's there that can't actually manage to work them out, and still they lose the appeal. Uh, Mercedes, they've got to, they've got to change it. They've got to do something. Something else I think they just need to tweak, just in terms of just simplification and consistency throughout everything is. Remember back to Silverstone, and I'm not applying blame one way or the other. Lewis got his penalty within the regulations of the rules. They thought he was mostly to blame. Fair enough. No harm done. You know, Max got his comeuppance with Italy and Russia, whatever. Um, but the fact of the matter stands, Lewis Hamilton hit Max, and he hit the barrier at 52G and ended up in hospital and got a 10-second penalty. In Saudi Arabia, wasn't it? Max overtook wide or pushed Max Lewis wide or whatever it was, got a 10-second penalty. In Austria, didn't didn't Perez get two 10-second penalties or two five-second penalties for pushing someone mildly wide? Yeah. How is one the same as the other? How is pushing someone slightly over the line where they can safely rejoin the track the same as punting them into the damn hospital? That needs to change. There needs to be a more of a stipulation that, yes, the result of the crash will impact your penalty. Which, yes, let them race or whatever, but don't send a late one up the fastest corner on the track. Do you know? Yeah. Or it's, if, it's, if it's, you it's, do, be prepared to take a drive through or a big penalty. There has to be that, like, yes, let them race, but we don't want to see anyone at 52G in the barrier. At, it, at another time, if that had hit the barrier in a different direction... That could have been... Lewis would be world champion by default. Yeah. If, if they, like Possibly. that crap, he just happened to go in sideways. If that had gone in any other direction, who knows what could have happened? And then it looks even worse that, oh, Lewis got a 10 second penalty, he won the race. Yeah, Max is in a coma. That looks awful. Uh, so they need to, I think that needs to be a, 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 a talking point or a stipulation in the rules as well. That yes, uh, the, the, the result of the crash needs to have some bearing on it. I think that the problem you have with that, though, is that if somebody knows, oh, he's coming in quite fast, if I keep my car here that looks bad, I can get him more punished. I don't think the consequences really need. Again, it's this interpretation because you have stu- you have different stewards for each each race. It's interpretation. Somebody could have black flagged him, gave him a ten second stop and go, but they didn't. They decided he was predominantly to blame, but not wholly to blame. Hmm. So they they decided on that. It's it's a, that one's a tricky one. I don't necessarily agree that the consequence has to be part of the punishment. To be honest, I think they do it subconsciously. I mean, they gave they gave uh, Max Verstappen a ten second penalty. Was it ten seconds or five seconds? I can't remember for the for what we found out was a a brake check uh, on Hamilton at Saudi. Yeah. 
That should have that's, that's that's a disqualification because he braked at two point four G and an acceleration zone of a track. That's a brake check. That is the definition of a brake check. So they didn't do it probably because they knew if they disqualified him in Hamilton one, we're not going to have the race we had in Abu Dhabi with the overall kind of show, as it were. So they they I mean Max Verstappen was lucky in that respect. So there is an element where I think they look at consequence, but not quite in that. I think they look at it, especially this season. I think things were done leniently and not so lenient in certain times because they knew they were so close and they wanted to keep that. Whether it was subconscious, they'll never admit that's what they did. But just subconsciously, I think they did it. And then Massey's decision to have that one lap showdown kind of shows the mentality in the general sense of where they wanted to go. They wanted to keep that fight to the end of the season. I mean, we've yeah. never had a final race since 1974 was the last time we had anybody going into the final race of the season on the same point. So it's a once-in-a-generation thing. I'm, I'm, I was born in 1982. I don't remember 1974, obviously. So this this season, like, next season, we're, we're not going to have the same season next year. We've been spoiled as a Formula 1 fan, fandom. So... We're going to see a lot of things on Twitter of how, oh, that's boring. This, this season's boring. We should have kept the regulations. No. 2021's an exception to the rule. 2021 is Leicester winning the, the Premier League. <laughs> you know, we don't get this season often. So kind of remember that. Um, yeah. But the rules the rules definitely need to be looked at as a general kind of thing. They're, they're, they're getting there with certain things, but they really need to sit back now uh, and... The way everyone's talking about Massey and AFIA, that ain't dying down anytime soon. So something needs to be changed and something needs to be looked at. Yeah, I suppose, like you say, it's so difficult when the stewards are different at every venue. And as well, it's impossible almost for your subconscious to get involved when you know things that have happened previously because you want to try and make it as fair as possible. Whereas one decision is always going to hurt a driver. And I think we're all hoping for some clarity if nothing else, going into next year. And I think almost moving on from this, what's we've said, it's kind of a shame because it has distracted from Max's win, his first championship. I suppose I'll ask you this, Tom. Do you think Max is going to be one of those drivers? He's going to be a Lewis where, you know, he's lit, reeling off the championships or do you think he's going to be a, a one-trick pony and this might be the only one? Max isn't a one-trick pony, Um but as to whether he's going to get multiple championships as an out-and-out driver, he absolutely could. There's no mm. question that he could win multiple championships. The big question is how well a Red Bull going to f- um, adapt uh, to the new regulations in 2022 and how well are the other teams around them going to adapt to the new regulations. Uh, I don't see a massive shake-up in the order coming. It's like I'm not sitting here saying that the Haas are going to be like you know fighting it out for pole position next year. You know, you know, as, as much as much as we'd all like to see them do better, I don't think they're going to do that much better. I don't think we're going to see that much of a change. So one thing that Max has in his favor, and I'm kind of going back over all grounds so I spoke about it earlier, is he's got Checo there as his support driver, as his second driver. And Checo is perfectly okay with being a second driver. He's perfectly okay with playing that backup role. Um, and that's what that's working actually wonders for Red Bull. It's what Red Bull need, like I said earlier. Um, and, and Perez is able to put, well, certainly this year, he's been able to put Mercedes in a position where they can force a different strategy 
out of a different team. And then they can, we've seen it several times this season. They put Perez long on a one stop to to effectively overcut and hold up the Mercedes. Or Max has another, well, Max will do like a two stop and come back around and sneak up on them. I mean, if he if he has that, you know, moving forward, which we know is up for 2022, we don't know what they've got after that. Um, you know, because there's a contract on the rest of it to be decided. Max could win multiple championships. The other thing we've got to think about is Mercedes are going to be different next year because they're going to have two drivers. Even if George Russell doesn't say he's going to want to be going for the championship, we all know he is. So that's a dynamic that Red Bull will have to sort of factor in as well and could play into their advantage. Yeah. I feel like we definitely want to get on to expectations for next year and obviously different people moving into new seats. But maybe before that, I was thinking about Ferrari and McLaren as well. I know this weekend has all been about Max versus Lewis, but reflecting on how some of the other teams have done this season, obviously it was an amazing weekend for Carlos Sainz and Ferrari have really been on this uphill climb recently. And maybe is that setting a precedent for next year that they're going to come in fighting as well? Or actually were McLaren reserving some of their energy and their focus into the car next year at the latter end of the season? And that's why they fell off a little bit. Um, Maybe, Sean, do you have any thoughts on that? What do you think about, yeah, the Ferrari and McLaren? Yeah, I mean, I actually kind of t- touched on this a couple, a couple of uh, podcasts ago. I can't remember what race it was after, but, uh, you know, McLaren's form essentially since the win in Monza has been dreadful. Now, with the caveat that the two of them have suffered just the worst amount of luck, mm. they are always getting caught out by safety cars and VSCs. They, they cannot catch a break. But as we always say, like Lewis Hamilton puts himself in position to get good luck. McLaren lads have let themselves down. Daniel Ricciardo, especially, like he qualified what tenth. You never really get any luck from tenth. Um, I do think maybe there might be a bit of an element of them, you know, shifting focus onto next season. They still had all the money from third last season. They definitely didn't necessarily spend it all this year because there was the budget cap. Ferrari obviously earned. I know they get their legacy payments and stuff like that, but finishing where they finished last year could not have helped their bank balance and financially have way more to, to gain from third than, say, McLaren do. Uh, but McLaren didn't seem all that beat up to finish fourth, let's put it that way. Um, and but for next season, I, I'm really, that's that's what I'm most excited for. I think Lewis and George, there's going to be fireworks there that Toto Wolf does not want, but he couldn't possibly let George Russell go somewhere else. He's too good a talent. Um, because if George Russell goes somewhere else, all of a sudden Toto has no one to replace Lewis with. That's what he's thinking. He's willing to put up with another Lewis Nico for a couple of seasons if needs be. Although I think you'll regret that. Um, but Ferrari McLaren, that's that's what I want to see next year. I think the two of them had had stellar seasons, uh, all things considering. But a special shout out to Danny Ricardo for getting that win at last, uh, Lando Norris for all his podiums, but Carlos Sainz, what a performance. I know none of us saw that coming. I don't think even Ferrari saw that coming. I don't think Charles saw that coming. I don't think like the likes of Bottas and Perez, there's a stipulation in his contract that you're Charles's whipping boy. I don't, I think Ferrari have actually grown long beyond that. I think they're differently run nowadays. uh, And the fact that they hired two such young drivers is a good testament to that. But by God, science's performance, he's finished fifth. He's beaten Lando. He's beaten Charles, especially in a Ferrari in his first season. And he's best of the rest. And he finished third. And, I have a, a, a fun little stat here. Um, 
We love a whenever, stat. Whenever Sainz has scored a podium, he has been completely overshadowed by some piece of drama. Obviously, his first podium was Brazil when, uh, you know, Hamilton's post-race penalty, and he didn't find out about the podium until hours later. Um, then Italy 2020, he finished second and a spectacular performance, completely overshadowed by Pierre Gasly's first win. Um, Monaco 2021, he finished second, but he was completely overshadowed by the story of Charles on pole in his home Grand Prix and him not starting the race. And he probably would have finished, he would have won had that happened. Hungary, he finished third only after Vettel's disqualification. Um, Russia 2021, he finished third because of the absolute carnage that was the rain and Lando losing out. And all the talk was on uh, Hamilton catching up and Lando losing out. Nobody remembered uh, Carlos. And then again, finished third in Abu Dhabi, but no one noticed because of the Hamilton-Verstappen fight. So even even having left McLaren, he still can't get a look in in terms of you know TV coverage and a bit of awareness. Uh, but he is going about the smoothest of operations at the moment, and he's hey, nice. He, nice. I, I, I mean, I, I've even got my chili T-shirt on here for for support yeah. for him today. Um, he he was a star this season, um, and I'm very very excited to see what he could. I think he's going to cause. Charles Leclerc, Danny Ricardo, and Lando Norris in particular, a lot of headaches next year. I'm really happy for him. I, I, I think he has had a really difficult career, obviously being in the shadow of Max, and then just kind of lumbering in Renault. And then that move to McLaren just revitalized him completely mm-hmm. and earned him that seat of Ferrari. And now he's taken that seat of Ferrari. Everyone thought, you're there to be Charles's number two, get out the way. And he's like, no. And that was it. And he finished ahead of him. And top credit to him. So, yeah, very excited for, for both teams next season. Can I just say a couple of things here? Uh, first off, Sean, that was, that was, you're a smooth operator to get smooth operator so smoothly oh. into that conversation. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, you know, kudos to Ferrari. I mean, they, we all know that Charles Leclerc is a golden boy, but they didn't seem to get in the way of Saints. They didn't rein him in. Yeah. They kind of thought, you know yeah. what? Let's just get on with it. We had a, it was the worst season since I think 1982, I might be a year or two out that they had uh, the year before uh, Sebastian Bell was last year there. Uh, and then I think they, they realized, right, if we manage this properly and let them kind of get on with it. And they, they trusted that the two of them will do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, they finished last turn for God knows how many races in a row, but you never got to them to see a bit of the bodywork flying. They just got on with it. And they were trusted to go, right, carry on, do your thing. Uh, and there has been conversations. Uh, Jean Tot has, is not running for the president of the FIA again. And apparently there's conversations about him coming back to Ferrari in a consultation zone uh, sort of uh, uh, role. So Jean Todd going back to his homeland, uh, that is Ferrari. Uh, whether that's a good thing or they're trying to recreate the past, which we all know doesn't tend to work, uh, well, cough, Ron Dennis, cough, cough. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it has its issues. Uh, but, you know, Ferrari just, they came out, they, they obviously found something. It'll be interesting to see what they've got for next year. Same with McLaren. Uh, I don't think that McLaren were that bothered about coming forth because, you know, they had a triple header and they got four points. I think that triple yeah. header before the last couple of races ended the season there, I think they knew it was done. It just, it's, they just came into a bit of bad form at the wrong time. Same as, same as for halfway through the season, we thought Max Verstappen had pretty much wrapped us up. 
And then slowly but surely, my series started to churn out the results and it was a wee bit of bad luck here and there. And then all of a sudden we got what we got. So, you know, it just is the consistency, the smooth operation of uh, Carlos Sainz. See, I'm not the only one that can add that into a conversation. Uh, so, yeah, Ferrari are, are good. Like, like, like the other day, as it was Tom, I think, said, I don't think the regulations are going to make much of a difference next year. I think you're talking about a year or so after, once the teams kind of understand it. But then again, Pirelli have came out today and said that the tyre, that the cars are going to be about half a second slower and will be faster than this year by the end of the season. Initial initial call, initial numbers were saying that the cars were going to be two to three seconds slower at the start of the season. I heard five so, seconds on certain Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Coop, and, Coop, sorry, just to pick up on that, mate. I don't think it's so much the raw speed of the car, which is the issue, um, and that the new regulations are trying to change. It's the ability of, of cars to follow other cars, especially when they've got dirty air. That's what the regulations are trying to change. So for me, if the cars can still absolutely whiz around that, you know, 200 miles an hour and, you know, you know, pull pull the speeds they can through these corners, provided uh, provided another car has got the ability to at least be able to follow them and get a decent chance of an overtake. I know some circuits don't help themselves, such as Jeddah, Monaco, etc., you know, you know, they're just too narrow. They don't seem to lend themselves to overtaking. But in in terms of the actual cars, it's not you know just because they're still going to be pretty much as quick or or suspected to be as quick. I don't think that's going to be. Or I hope that's not going to be as big an issue as we think it is. Yeah, I feel like as a fan, you're just hoping for more wheel to wheel racing. You're hoping for more opportunities to overtake to make it more exciting. And I've. I was going to ask, do we think we might see a more varied leaderboard as a result of these new regulations, leather, you know, levelling up the playing field a little bit? Or like you say, maybe, Sean, what do you think? Do you think it's going to take a few years actually to, to stop domination of teams like Red Bull and Mercedes? Uh, I hope it's the former. I hope it's it's a more level playing field. I mean, um, as just a fan of the sport. I think this season has been phenomenal and having a two-team championship at last after, Jesus, how many years of just one. Mm. Um, two occasionally when Ferrari decided to show up for six months and then fall apart again. Um, but like a, a year like 2010, when we had up until like a couple of races to go when Button fell off, but for the vast majority of the season, there were six drivers going for the, who, who could uh, mathematically win the title. Uh, and in, even in that season, 2010, Vettel didn't lead the championship until he won it. That's how close that season was. Um, and then, you know, 2012, when we had new tires come in, there were seven different winners in the first seven races. So I'm not saying we're going to get something crazy like that, but when we have a rule change this massively dramatic, which we haven't had since 2009, and even at that, probably not since long before that, uh, Ross Brown reckons this is the biggest rule, rule change in terms of like the car design ever, uh, which is a big statement. Um, but I, I, I think it'll shake up the order a good bit. They've, they've actually had a year longer to develop these cars than even they expected to when they were first announced, because obviously it, the whole thing got pushed back a year. Who that benefits, it's extremely hard to say. It's impossible to say right now. Obviously, benefits those with a bit more money who can pump more off-the-side development costs into those cars for another year. Um, you look at the likes of Haas, that extra year has actually probably hurt them, and that's why they couldn't develop this year's car, because they 
we're expecting to run the new car this year and all the money had gone into that um the likes of mercedes obviously are gonna are strong we, 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 we are totally sure of that red bull you can be sure they're going to be up there as well um but then you look to the midfield who's going to come good ferrari you just can't count them out um especially at the moment mclaren i think everything andreas seidel and zach brown are doing has been geared towards a revival of the team in 2022 so a fiver on Lando Norris to be champion next year would be a decent bet. You'll get good odds on him, I reckon. Um, I think it'll close the the field maybe a little bit more than than, than Tom. You think? I I think it'll be a bit more of a shock to the system than people expect. I don't see a bronze story happening again. I can't see car twenty two um, or car twenty one as he is because he's twenty first in a twenty driver championship. Nikita Mazepin winning next year like Button did in two thousand nine. That's not going to happen. But that doesn't mean we can't see a bit of a phoenix emerge from the ashes in the form of McLaren. Maybe Alpine, uh, they have to have shown Fernando Alonso something to bring him back other than a big open checkbook. Aston Martin have that whole new factory coming on. They had a terrible season. Williams, who knows what Williams could do next year. I think it's going to be a much closer championship next year and I cannot wait for it. I'm, I'm already desperately trying to find a point in my schedule where I can go to see these cars live. Mm. I think one of the things as well you've got to remember is next year is the first time we're going to see this sliding scale for the CFD testing. Yeah, good point. So first place gets 70% allocated. Second is 75. Third is 80. Fourth, 85. Fifth, 90. Sixth place gets 95. Seventh place in the constructors gets 100. Eighth, ninth and tenth gets 105, 110 and 115%. So they get more runs per week in the CFD and wind tunnel to develop the cars, which is now which have kicked in because the, the, it's all set, you know, uh, constructor, and that's designed again to bring things closer together. Uh, I think what we'll see next season is I don't. I think we might see probably a team being more regular at the top. That's not normally. I don't think you're going to. I think it's still going to be next season probably more so than the rest. You're going to see Mercedes and Red Bull. Ferrari's probably going to be a bit closer. You'll see them split them a few more times. And then as the easy year goes on, things will get split a wee bit more and a wee bit more. And I think next the year after next year, I think that's when we might see a team that really understands what they're doing and really gets a wee something, just a wee thing just to bring them that bring them up. And then of course you've got to think the next year after that after this year, I think that Lewis Hamilton's contract's done. So mm. we're into a whole new generation in a couple of years' time. Because uh, I don't think he'll stay after this. I think he'll do this year. Because I think as a driver, he wanted to try out the new cars. Uh, and I think that's it for him. But anyway, we're kind of, you're going on a big tangent there. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, it'll be interesting. Point, that's, what Re- that's what Red Bull did, isn't it? Braun had that golden nugget in 2009, but then really it was Red Bull who nailed that generation the following year and onwards. Braun, no, you mean Mercedes? No, 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 Braun, I'm talking about 2009. Braun nailed that. Oh, sorry, yes. Braun Braun had that golden nugget in 2009, but then didn't develop it, and Mercedes came in, developed the car properly. Red Bull caught up and then ran away with it from 2010 for the rest of that generation. So, yeah, yeah, you make your point that it might be 2023 before we see the next dominant team. Next, next year, I think, is the development year for the teams. They'll have the they'll have ideas. They'll get the cars out there. 
And then as this year goes on, they'll start thinking, wait a minute, we could do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, the regulations are the most prescriptive, so they're the most dialed in. And they're, they're the most, it's the only time I think that, that Formula One have ever done regulations where they had their own Formula One team within Formula One trying to find the loopholes to stop things from becoming a bronze situation. But then even with Braun, when they came out with that golden nugget, halfway through the season, they were sixth and seventh and eighth and ninth. But because the first part of the season was so good, mm. they won the championship. I don't think we're going to get that extreme. That was an extreme. But there will be someday, there will be a team, whether it be McLaren, whether it be Ferrari, it could even be an Alpine, it could be Alfa Tauri. They can design a good car. They just didn't capitalise on it this year. Uh, it could even be Alfa Romeo. I doubt it with the volumes Alfa's in the house. I think they'll get closer together in their own championship. Uh, but somebody's going to have something, just a wee nugget of something to bring them up yeah. towards the front. I think you make your point because the cars are so new. Like It's all well and good running them through the, the sims and the, the error rigs and stuff like that, but they still have no clue how they work. No. Not, 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 not even the best sim in the world can simulate a car that has not turned the wheel on the track yet. It's yep. just impossible. Um, so yeah, you're right. All the golden nuggets and stuff like that, I'd say they have ideas. I'm sure they all have their ideas oh, yeah. of, okay, well, if this works, then we could do this. And if this doesn't work, well, we can replace it with this and blah, 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 blah. But they won't know anything. What do they have? Three days of testing next year? Well, they've got the, they've got the Abu Dhabi test. They've got, no, the, the test in Spain, I think, has not been tele- televised. I think they've given that extra three days. Oh, okay, good. Well, so they've, they've got, got Ab- that. They've got Abu Dhabi is- now, which they're doing the tyres with. Yes, that, and, and that's mule cars for 2021, so it doesn't yeah. really count. But next year, they've got three days in Spain. Spain, I might be wrong, but they've got three days which isn't televised live. They're going to have like TV shows at the end of each day to discuss things. Yeah. And that's mostly shakedown. And then they're going to have the actual three-day testing, which will be live completely, uh, where we will actually get to see the cars properly running where they're actually doing all their sims for long, long runs and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's when we'll get to actually see the cars properly. I don't mm. think we're going to see the final models of the cars at the first the first test you know the cars that come to the first race in Bahrain or you know three or four races in will be different than what we're going to see in testing but to see the cars from what we've got an idea of what they look like this is the first time I've been really really excited just to see the reveals of the cars Mm. because I'm like whoa just just in case anyone listening does want to know I've I've got those provisional dates here Uh, a Spain test three days the 23rd to the 25th of February and then Bahrain from the 10th to 12th of March. So like Coop said, that the, the Spain one won't be televised, but we, I'm sure Sky will probably have like running, like telecommentary all day long, like they usually do. Um, and Bahrain then the, the 10th to the 12th. You're taking, I mean, notes, I, you're taking that note down, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just, just I'm trying not to, to, to have a moment thinking about how nice these cars are. And the fact that we're talking about the new season in February. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah, so it's, it's Christmas it's, in a week and a half. I don't know yeah. if that's a time's gone really quick or you, you can't wait till February to see them because it feels too it's, far away. It's, it's too close. It's just amazing. <laughs> it's the fact that it's like a month. We have only have like one full month where there's nothing. It is and mental. And then end of February, boom, it's, it's into that. A couple of weeks later, we're into Bahrain. And then we've got a double header as the first two races, which is Bahrain and Saudi. In the first two races in the champion, the end of February and the start of March. So, yeah, you know, good, good time to be an F1 fan. The sport oh, doesn't stop. 
Yeah. It just doesn't, no. It's going to stop earlier, which is going to be weird at the end of the season because I think it stops sometime around the middle of November, I think. Mm. Uh, but, you know, we've got so many things to think about for next year. But, yeah, no, I, I'm so, so much, excited. So much to look forward to. I think I was preferring Sean's analysis more as in, oh, it's going to be really level playing field next year. That got me quite excited. But I suppose, mm-hmm. like we said, there's so much to look forward to next year either way I think as well talking about next year there's a few obviously we've got um, Alex Albon coming back and Russell joining Mercedes and a few switches between different teams so Tom what do you think about some of obviously new driver coming in Kimmy's gone what do you think different people are going to perform like at their new teams um it'll be interesting to see how Albon gets on because um, we have seen that he can be a good racer. He did have some good races when he was driving for both um, Toro Rosso, as they were at the time, and Red Bull. Um, so he's got the potential. Whether that Williams car is going to complement him or not is a different question, because obviously we've seen sort of downward trajectory they've been on since 20, well, 2017, really. Um, you know, that's if I'm being generous. Um, so whether Albon can actually pull something off next year, you know, I'm like I said, I'm not expecting him to win the championship or you know, perform miracles. But if if that Williams is a decent car, because it sounds like Williams have put a lot of resources into the 2022 car, um, hopefully he 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 can sort of muster a good job out of it there might be a seat of Red Bull in 2023 we don't know you know so he might not you know he you know and obviously Hamilton's retiring you know well might be retiring in 20, after 2023 again we don't know um uh, 2022 even sorry um the point being there could be a seat of both the two current top teams in 2023 and Alban hasn't given up his ties to Red Bull to go and race for Williams so there's still that link there, which I was surprised by initially, but this, you know, so that they, they know they all know what they're doing. Um, as for who else we've got coming in, well, Bottas is going to Alfa Romeo, but Bottas is used to just getting stuck in traffic, so it'll be fine. Um, we've got Guan Yu Zhou coming in. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, from, he, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, he's been in Formula Two for a couple, couple of years, solid but not spectacular. He's there because he's brought just a fat load of Wonga with him. Um, and that's pretty much the only reason. And outside of the UK, that, that's an odd sentence. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For, 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 for anyone listening outside the UK, that that uh, basically that's 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 um, that's UK slang for he, he's brought an awful lot of money with him, which is the only reason he's in that seat. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Bottas might teach him a lot, or Bottas might just teach him how to make porridge or swear his engineer on the radio. We'll see. Um, you can tell I'm kind of skipping over this because I want to get to George Russell, the Mercedes. Um, yeah. I, right. You can tell, and turn the microphone around here, you can tell Russell is a Mercedes Union driver. As soon 
as the end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Did you see he was tweeting saying, oh, this is... Oh, was not him, that was Toto. I, that was definitely not him. I was he, so unimpressed was, by that. Toto will... Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then this is what I mean, right? This was the Mercedes influence. This was the Mercedes inside him. This was Toto saying, ah, bah, 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 if you want the keys to that W13 or whatever it's going to be next year, you better go and write this. And he is practising sticking it for Lewis, which you'd understand because they're going to be teammates. Um but he won't have to do it for long, though, if he's any like Nick Rosberg. Well, well, that's that, that's that's the other thing I'm thinking is that George is going to start this year saying, "Oh, you know, I'm not going to get Lewis this way. You know, he's going to be going for a record eight world title, yada yada yada." But then George is going to get in that car and he's going to go, "Well, hang on a second, I'm not here to be a Perez or be a Bottas." George is there because Mercedes have seen something in him. We've all seen something in him. He won. Uh, did he win it? Did he win Formula Three or GP Three, whatever it was? I, uh, yeah, well, well, yeah, he, he, he won GP two, but but he won GP three the year before, I think, in twenty seventeen as well. Um, so he's not coming into this as a as a paid, you know, as a quote to quote pay driver like Guan Yu Zhou. He's coming into this as a double junior champion, and he's just put in three stellar years at Williams. Um, you know, he's he's got them points. Yes, the situations favoured him, but. He's not going to sit there for the whole year and roll over. He is going to want podiums. He's going to want pole positions. He's going to want race wins. And if, and I say if, um, Hamilton is locked in another title fight with Verstappen, Mercedes, I cannot see them saying, it's okay, you know, I can't, I can't see them. If he gets like a decent amount of poles or whatever, I can't see them saying to George, oh, no, it's fine, because they're not going to want to concede one of their drivers to the driver's championship. And I think George might subconsciously know this, or even consciously know this a bit, because in Hungary, when Latifi was on for points, he came on the team radio and said, if you need to sacrifice Nicky's race um, for the team, That's do it. Sacrifice his race. Yeah, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. So, so when Russell said, if you need to sacrifice my race for Latifi, do it. I think that was him sort of saying to Mercedes, you know, look, I'll do this, but I wonder how long he'll actually keep that up for the whole year. I, about I, three races into the season. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that... <laughs> He's I only human. Exactly. I, I think that's, that, that showed a good amount of what George's character is, um, but he said that because he knew Williams need the points. He is not going to be in third place with Max between him and Lewis and say, you can pit no. me early to confuse Max. He's going to yep. say, leave me out and I, I, I'm going to race Max hard like I want to race Lewis like change my the difference being that if they change his strategy and do what they never did for Bottas he'll beat Lewis <laughs> um, exactly but it, you're, you're right that, that's a good point that was a big show of what his character is what him as a person is that yeah. he even had the wherewithal to know that sacrificing his race would help Nicky yeah, I mean, no, no disrespect to Hamilton. I'm not a Hamilton fan. I'm not a hater or anything like that. But see, the first time that George Russell comes on the radio to Toto Wolf and says, "Can you move Hamilton out of the way? I'm faster." Oh, I'm gonna be bouncing. Because oh. that'll be that's the start of it. That's it. You're like, oh, yeah. here we go, popcorn. What? Here we go. 2016 all over again. You'll just, you'll just I, I could just hear Abu Dhabi 2016. Uh, Toto, I'm actually fine here. I'm, I'm in the lead of the race here. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm okay here. I'm going quite fast enough. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it, I, it'll go that way because uh, you know we've seen him at Sakia, uh, not like like was it this last season? There wasn't it? Last 20, season, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Twenty twenty. You know, it's it's. I mean, that's a 
that's it, and it's on wee bubble because it's a very strange track. Uh, but you know, the movie done on Bottas to swing around the outside of a car that you couldn't actually fit in properly. You know, he's going to go to a Mercedes that he's been groomed for, uh, and he's in, as you say, he's in the bubble. Uh, he gave the lo- the login details for his Twitter to Total Wolf at the end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, which we all know we did. Uh, so, you know, having a car that's designed with him in mind uh, is already a headache for the aerodynamicist because he's too tall. Uh, <laughs> you're lucky he's got a bit of talent because they would never want to put him in that car. Uh, but, yeah, uh, he's only going to do that for so long. He's, you know, the minute he realises he has a car that can get a win, and Hamilton's in front of him, and he's half a second faster around that track. He's on that blower going, gonna shift him, you know. And because he's a racer, I mean, he's doing, he's do, he done what Piastri done just this year, you know, 2017, he won the, F, the GP3, 2018, he won F2 in his first and his rookie years. You know, that's what Piastri's done. He was lucky there was a seat at Williams. Piastri's having to drive as a test driver for the next season, but you know, he has the talent. He is going to be a champion at some point in the future. Um, and I think I've said this in the past, I think going forward now with these new rules, I don't think we're going to see a domination like Mercedes. I don't think it's going to happen. I think they'll have a couple of years. You know, Max Verstappen might retain the title next year. He might not win the next two. You know, then we might have two different races. Two, you know, Lando Norris might look into something. A Ferrari might get a championship. I think they're going to get like two, one, two, two, one, one. You know, we're going to, we're going to see that now. Because all these young guys like your Norris, your, you know, Leclerc, Sainz, Verstappen, who we keep forgetting, he's only, what, 23, 24? You know, he's been in it for years. You know, they, they changed the rules when he entered into Formula One because they're like, eh, guys, he's a bit young. Uh, can he reach the pedals? Uh, oh, oh, he's actually quite fast. All right, okay. <laughs> but still, uh, you know, so the, it's a very, this is a, this is, it's, you know, Formula One's in a great place in terms of drivers. As long as Formula One can get the product right, again, as we discussed earlier with the rules, make sure that people are clear and know how to race. Because the last thing we want is drivers not making a lunge because they don't actually know whether if they're going to get penalised. Like, mm. we want them to race, obviously to a point, but we want them to make that chance. You know, you want to see the lunges maybe not daft, like 20 cars back, like even I would know that that's not on, uh, you know, but we don't want to hamstring them just because nobody understands it. Uh, and then, you know, if these aerodynamic rules that are coming in or the new rules coming in next year, they work, that's fine. Now the next big thing is to make sure the next engine rules work. And if we can get everything, because we've got the drivers, if we can get the regulations sorted, Formula One's going to be amazing for a while. And it's it's there. It's tantalizingly close, and it's just like, please don't drop it. Please don't drop it. Because there's, there's a very good point you make there that like I don't think there's gonna, you don't think there's going to be a dominator for a, a good while. So I think there's a very real possibility that this was Lewis's maybe last chance to take that once and for all number one spot off Michael Schumacher. Mm-hmm. If he Is doesn't it- do it, if he doesn't do it next year, he's not going to do it. And no. I, I and whether he does it or not. I can't see anyone getting even halfway close to that for decades. Yeah. For the next two or three regulation changes. Um, Cause even remember it took Schumacher 15 years to do it. Um, mm-hmm. It's taken Lewis what 13 years to, to hit that level. 
Um, and he wouldn't have without a bit of help from a bit of a dominant car and some rules and regulations. He'd be a multiple world champion, no questions about that whatsoever, but he sure as hell wouldn't be a seven-time world champion. He'd probably have four or five like Seb does. Um, but I, th- I think it's a really good point you make about the young drivers as well. I think the likes of, obviously, Kimmy's gone now, and we'd all shed a tear for Kimmy. Bye, Kimmy. Um, his Instagram bio changed today to just retired. I thought that was pretty perfect. Um, he's going. Hamilton is, what, 36 now? Yes, it'll be he's 37 a, next year. Yeah. yeah, he's a lot older. And to talk credit to him, he's in spectacular shape. Like, he keeps himself very fit. He's uh, the second oldest driver on the grid. I know, it's bizarre. This is weird. Really bizarre. Um, I, he doesn't look as much younger than Alonso as he is. Um, he looks a hell of a lot younger. I think with set, with Kimi moving on, I think Alonso, if Alonso doesn't get any of next year, he, he, he'll... Call it he's only got that. one year left. I, I know, and, it, and if if he doesn't at least win some races next year, he won't be extending that contract. Mm. Um, I think Alpine have sold him the world on next season and showed him a huge checkbook, but I don't think even the money would convince him to lumber around again for another season in a new era of regulations. I think I think Seb's probably the same. I think. Aston Martin have sold him the world on what their plans are with that new wind tunnel and that new factory coming up. Again, I think if he doesn't see substantial change early next year, or at least the, what's coming down the pipe, like you said, next year is like the development year. If he doesn't see something super convincing for 2023 in the pipeline, he'll hang up his boots as well. And after yeah. that, I think we're going to hit a new ceiling of ages of drivers. Do you know the rest of them? Are oh, all yeah. They're early. Like, after after they're gone, Carlos Sainz and Daniel Ricciardo suddenly become the elder statesmen on the on, on and the what grid. Are, what are they? Late twenties, early thirties. You know, Danny, da- Danny, I think just turned thirty one, and Carlos is twenty seven. I think he turned twenty seven. Yeah, this year. you know that. I mean, if you go by Kimi Raikkonen levels, you know, Danny Rick's still got another ten years. Oh yeah, and, and Carlos <laughs> has got like decades to go. But like, I I don't think it's not a case that you know, the cars. You know, you need to, it's a young man's sport, and he. Like it kind of became one, and now it isn't any again because obviously with all the power steering and stuff like that, the cars are quite easy to drive, and you can stay fit enough as Kimi and Lewis have proved even into your forties uh, and Fernando. But I think once kind of that generation, that kind of golden generation of late two thousands, early twenty tens, uh, move on, I I think like seeing someone over thirty five, I don't I don't think you think Danny Ricardo will go to that long if he's not get the championships which again next couple of years are key for his career uh and after that you know the rest of them age they're five six seven eight years away from even being in the 30s so like you said we've got and and let's not forget in that argument as well you've got mick schumacher who's only 23 um it's bizarre to think in his first season 23 and max verstappen's just one or 24 and he's been around for seven years but that's just the max rule um Oscar Piastri has to be in Formula 1 in 2023. How he's not next year is a crime. That kid is an extremely special talent. An extremely special talent. Um, but there's a, there's a lot more coming up. Like um, uh, Theo Porcher, he's a good long talent as well. Like Formula 2 has been extremely exciting the past couple of seasons. I think Guan Yu Zhou is not going to last that long. Uh, and I don't think Nikita Masman is going to last long either because there's a lot of better young talent coming up. And I think we're going to see a, a more golden era of late 20s F1 drivers. You know, football players tend to peak in their late 20s. I think we're going to see a time where F1 is going to see something similar as well over the next 10 years. 
Yeah. yeah, and I mean, to see how the way things have changed, I mean, we're talking about drivers like Max Verstappen has been in Formula 1 since 20, for what, seven years, and he's only 24. Mm. Damon Hill debuted in 1992, I think it was, if we've just got it here. So at the age of 33, he debuted in Formula 1. Wow. <laughs> you know, that, and that was in 1993. Uh, and then, of course, we, we and Senna passed and he got, uh, he got the drive in 94. But his debut was at 33. That was 10 years older than what, nine years older than what Max Verstappen is. And Max Verstappen has been in Formula 1 for seven years. So you, the, the change and how everything's changing over to the younger driver is unreal. Mm. Uh, and as you've just basically said there, like, we're spoiled for choice. The, big, the biggest concern I have with regards to the ages now is we're going to see a lot of drivers who have the talent to be in Formula 1 not be in Formula 1 because Formula 1's too young and they're all too good and there just won't be a seat unless Audi and Porsche come in. Well, I was going to say that, seats. that for like kind of 2026, that might be a genuine contributing factor in new teams coming in. That might even encourage the VW group to let both manufacturers mm-hmm. come in. Because they're not they're not going to want for driver talent, are they? Um, no. They'll come in, they'll have big budgets, they'll be able to buy the likes of so, some experienced driver like a 36-year-old Danny Ricciardo, for example, to lead the team. And then a young lad like, I don't know, Theo Porcher's younger brother, or Arthur <laughs> Leclerc, if we're talking about the yeah. younger brothers. Um, and they're going to be spoiled for choice. So that, and F1 might say, well, look, lads, we need more seats. We have way too many drivers. Too many people are aging out. And even Formula E doesn't have any bloody seats for them anymore. We can't let these kids keep going to IndyCar because it's not the same level. Uh, and proof of that is actually today. Didn't uh, Pato Award come out and say, I was expecting this to be tough. This is the toughest thing I've ever done. And he's won how many IndyCar races this season? He does a race at really not def- not racing, certainly not qualifying speeds in a test in, in a McLaren on test tires that he's definitely not pushing flat out and he can barely handle it. They can't be letting these kids like fade away to IndyCar. They need to be in Formula One. They're, they're, they've been conditioned since they were kids to be yep. in Formula One. It, it has yeah. become like football. They're conditioned from a very young age to be ready for Formula One. To let them wither away in lesser categories is, is a huge shame. And F1's response to that should be to open the regulations up to make it more. And the, the budget cap is a good start for that but to allow and to encourage and to invite more teams to join in and not just manufacturers, but more independents. Let's have another Williams. Let's have another Haas come in and do it a little bit better. But Haas started off great, didn't they? So yeah, I hope, I hope that that's a contributing factor. in, like you said, just the wealth of young talent at the grassroots coming through. And let's uh, just to finish that off as well. Let's not also forget all the W series drivers and the young female drivers. Jamie Chadwick, I think deserves her shot in formula one. She's a very, very talented driver. Um, and that series is showing everyone how good these girls are. They just need to be given a little bit more backing, which is exactly what it is, yep. to get into the otherwise male-dominated versions of the sport. Um, so they, they're, they're definitely not lacking for talent. And just the simple thing is they need more seats in Formula 1. Yeah. No, I love that that we've mentioned W Series. I, I mean, it would make my decade probably if I saw Jamie Chadwick in F1 and you just hope it's not too far in the future that you start to see some women come through Mm. I suppose the sad thing is it's probably still seen as such a risk because it's this unknown and you just need one person like Jamie Chadwick who's such a talent to get in and break the mold for everyone else Um, but god your two's analysis there has got me excited for 
F1 to come for many years. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's you, something else. Yeah, you, like, you just you can't wait for it. Jamie yeah. Chadwick's a great example. Like if you stuck her in that hat, she'd wipe the floor with Nikita Mazepin. Yeah, there is no. She just needs an opportunity. That's yeah. exactly it. She just needs someone to say, "Jamie, get in the car." Yeah, that, that's exactly it. Because she's um, the Williams test driver, isn't she? She is. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd hope maybe if it's obviously Albon's going there, but if the other seat opens up, like you say, she'd have a shot. I think she's she's testing sim driver. I think it's still is it not Jack Aitken? It's still the. Oh, Jack, Jack Aitken is the reserve driver. Oh, she's, she's there as yeah. a development kind of role. The, the, the unfortunate thing for Jimmy Chad, because she's currently 23. So, mm. again, she might be the victim of the fact that everything's younger. Yeah. Mm. So she, by the time she probably gets the opportunity, she could be 25, 26, 27. And she's probably going to age out of Formula One, mm-hmm. which is, again, just, it's this issue with the the, the spoils and how good people are now you know yeah. it's an unfortunate thing i mean what if she doesn't get to formula one she's paving the way because yeah sure. we're looking yeah. at the w series we're looking at jamie chadwick she's done some decent things in extreme e uh she's done amazing things in the w series and i think part of it was you know she wasn't supposed to retain or uh, you know attempt to attempt to ret- uh, retain the title in w series because they were going to do the formula two rule as she won won it and she had to move on Hmm. But that's a, they couldn't do that with the W Series just now because there isn't anywhere to move on to yet. Mm. Yeah. They let her come back in. Uh, I mean, she, she she did say that you know winning the second title was a a big next step towards F one. She yeah. didn't she drive didn't she drive an old Williams at Goodwood? Uh, I'd imagine so. I, th- I think yeah. I think she did. Them, yeah. um, she she drove. I think I think it was Keke Rosberg's old Williams that she drove at Goodwood. That in itself. <laughs> should scream to teams that this girl is a talent. They don't let just anyone hop in a 40-year-old mm. Formula 1 car. They don't let most modern drivers drive the old Formula 1 cars because they're too damn hard to drive. And for those old ones, there's definitely an argument in like the, the, the strength aspect because those six-foot-five bare men could barely handle them. She's yeah. nothing. Um, not a slight on her, but and she did it. She drove up the hill in Goodwood and she managed it no problem at all. She could absolutely handle that argument is long gone out the window that she couldn't handle the car. I, th- mm-hmm. I think you st- stick her in, in the Haas or stick her in, in an Aston and she'd do better than the pay drivers who are currently in those teams yeah. or uh, Alpha next season. Oh, I could I could talk about women getting an F1 seat for a while, but yeah, you'd hope well, almost that because we sometimes can be cynical that it's all about the money but almost bringing a woman in would actually bring a lot of attention to that team and therefore hopefully more sponsorship and things like that but I don't know if teams are almost seeing that angle at the moment not yet Um, but you're right to say like if if you were talking in a totally myopic business sense if you put a woman in your team you are going to be the center of attention on every news story for the whole damn season good or bad good or bad like the, the, the media attention and like advertising potential around that not that that's why you should put a girl in the car, no. in the car not at all uh but like i think that's an aspect that no one's quite grasping yet because oh she has no money to come where it's like yeah but put her in and you'll get money out of her you know yeah 100 percent. I, th- I, th- I think one of the things that w series did so well was piggyback on formula one yeah that was a huge yeah. difference if you look at how the women were treated over in quota you know they had they were they were doing so much publicity. They were part of the Formula One coverage. They had the 
you know, they had their, they, they were out in their overalls doing photo shoots and getting onto the TV in America. And that's a big place to get on in front of the TV. Yeah. Uh, and I think, am I right in saying that was where they had the finale? Was it quarter yeah. double races? That's, that's where Jamie uh, won it. You know, so you've got, I mean, you've got people, we've had guests on the show from the W Series, you know, Alice Powell and uh, a couple of the others. Jessica uh, Hawkins. Paul, uh, Jessica Hawkins, that was who I was trying to remember there, thanks for that. <laughs> you know, and, you know, uh, and, you know, wish, wishing the Alice Powell a speedy recovery, still recovering from her back injury. Uh, so, I mean, there's so many, the wealth of talent now, I think the good thing for the W Series is they've got rid of that cynicism because when W Series were announced, there was a lot of cynicism. They looked really, this is going to be terrible. Uh, and I never got, I just didn't have the time to follow it much this season. But in 2019, when it, when it started, of course, they didn't have a 2020 uh, due to COVID. I caught a few of them. I'm like, hey, yeah, this, is, this is some good racing. This, and who's this J- Jamie Chadwick? I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the Google. Like, who's it? Oh, she's been about oh who's this and who's the next oh who's that and, you know it, it just opens your eyes and you know to touch on your point now you're saying about like teams shouldn't necessarily put women in cards just for marketing purposes they kind of do that with the men yeah they do <laughs> like there's their oh he's like you know Alfa Romeo have seen Grand Yuzhou because he's the first Chinese full-time driver to be put into in Formula 1 that's a marketing thing. That's a very good point. You know, that's like, it doesn't matter that he's bringing 30 million quid a year. Right? We've never had a full-time Chinese driver in Formula One and it's all over the place. And it was that exciting that an Alfa Romeo dealership in China broke the news before it was supposed to be broken because they put it on their window. Okay, so we've had a little bit of a tangent there at the end, but we love big up to the W series um, and lots of analysis from what was such a controversial race, but an amazing race and what an incredible season. So I think each of us now, if we had one of Sean's fivers to put on a driver for next year, give it to me nice and quick. Who do we think, who are we putting that fiver on for next year? Tom. Uh, Max. Sean. George Russell. Oh. <laughs> Coops. Oh, Carlos Sainz. Oh, okay, well, Ooh. I'm going to go Lando Norris. So we'll see. Maybe we should all put that on and then one of us will be in big bucks next year. So thank you so much for listening. This has been the Everything F1 podcast. You can catch us on all the socials. We're either join EF1 or Everything F1. I've been Cara Bostock sitting in for James. Thank you very much, Tom. Pleasure as always. Sean. Thank you very much. This was a lot of fun. And Coops, thank you so much. Oh, brilliant. Thanks very much. And well done in your first presenting job. Well done. Round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a blast.